0: Hello and welcome back to Eldritch Girl and this is not the last part, this is the last but one part. (laughs) Um, I realised how long chapter 13 actually is so I've split it and there's also the epilogue as well. So we've got two quite long parts coming up, longer than normal because there isn't a good place to split it earlier. We'll see how it goes. Um, 13th as usual is all rights reserved to C.M. Rosen's. The theme tune is by Gemma Cartmell. The illustrations in the books are by Tom Brown. If you want to grab a book and read along, you should know by now where to grab one from. Um, Don't forget there's an audiobook coming out once this podcast season is finished. And then you'll be able to get the audiobook of both The Crows and Thirteenth. How exciting is that? Um, And I'm hoping that when The Day We Ate Grandad comes out, which is the third book, Then I'm going to do like a box set of the three of them. um, And there's going to be lots of things to look forward to. So um, this is chapter 13. We have a number of um, kind of generic body horror content warnings for this. Um, I'm trying to remember how strong the language is. The C word might appear again. (laughs) Um, (laughs) No, I don't think it does. We've got... A couple of specific kinds of body horror in this. So um, this is kind of what I like to call the pulled pork person, where somebody is conscious and bits of them are falling apart. So you have that kind of imagery. You have um, a very casual attitude to driving people to madness and uh compromising their mental health on purpose and i think then it's just the usual kinds of content warnings um the generic ones across the whole season to look out for i don't think there's anything really specific in this chapter that hasn't already come up so just kind of be prepared for more cosmic horror more eldritch horror body horror this is kind of where the the weirdness sort of amps up a bit more in terms of metamorphosis and transformation. So, if that sounds uh, like it's a good build up to the end, um, good luck. And here we go with chapter 13, part 20 of 21. Chapter 13, The Sun Also Rises. Nobody ever lives their life all the way up except bullfighters. Ernest Hemingway, the sun also rises. Outside. Ricky let the thirteenth's cocoon dreams swamp him, submerged in images that came from her head. For a while he wasn't sure what was dream and what was waking, whether he was encased himself or not, or whether his limbs belonged to his own body. Perhaps he had borrowed them. Everything felt strange, disintegrated, disjointed. It was worth it. He saw what she saw, committing as much to memory as he could, hoping it wouldn't fade from him like a nightmare. But there was something else with them in the dreams. The eyes, the glowing eyes in the darkness. The watchers. He took in the thirteenth's form as it clawed and tore at their kinfolk, and wondered if his own form was a match for it, or if he'd ever need to find out. But he couldn't see that. She didn't dream of him. Ricky watched her dreams unfold, filing the names and faces away, but something else repeatedly tugged at his attention. A glimmer of something in his peripheral vision, a flicker of light in the corner of his eye, distracted him. He turned to it, hoping to see the sun glaring on the mistress's windows, but with a stab of disappointment he saw it came from a dark, jagged mountainside, rising out of the barren landscape. The beast in its dreams began to pull away from him as the bright light pulsed and dazzled. Ricky tried to return to the glimpses he had of Catherine's secret inner world, much preferring the knowledge he was soaking up from this temporary connection, but as he turned away, the light on the edge of his consciousness strobed and began to blind him. The beast and the faces of its victims fractured before he could adjust his concentration, and the strobing light filled his third eye with crystalline brilliance. He didn't even have time to swear. It swallowed him up, leaving him floating in a void of white, His feet found purchase on a hard floor. That certainly felt real, but he was pretty sure this was all still happening in his head. He turned and collided with something hard and nearly fell over. He was now standing in a crystal cave, and a few dazed blinks brought everything more clearly into focus. The cave mouth snarled out of the mountainside, and far below him was the circle of standing stones, and two tiny figures not far beyond that sitting with a speck of red. The cocoon. "'Ricky rubbed his eyes. "'This couldn't be the future, then. "'Not if he could see himself. "'Not the past, he'd never been here before. "'The present, that was it, that's what it was.' "'He nodded and turned back around "'to find out what was so important about this place "'that demanded his attention. "'It felt familiar, like a place he had read about in a book "'and someone had plucked from his mind. "'The geodes sparkled with no discernible light source, "'but he supposed that was an effect of his imagination.' It was a globular space, reflecting and refracting energies his other form thirsted for beneath his writhing skin. "'All right,' he said aloud at last, when nothing seemed to happen. "'What am I doing here?' He frowned, catching sight of himself in the facets, a hundred thousand fragments of himself. This place called for another language, an older one, and he repeated himself in Old English instead. For the first time, he was self-conscious about it, knowing he was self-taught, worrying that he'd got it wrong or wasn't pronouncing it properly. As if in answer, a thread of energy caught his eye in its journey from one glittering crystal to another. Ricky blinked, following the darting path deeper into the cave. The thread sparkled, taunting him, and zipped off into a web at the cave's glowing heart. His breath caught. In the web, he saw the beast— saw her clearer than by walking through her stolen dreams, trapped in the centre like a giant fly. She could not hurt him. He saw the family, each one meshed in a miniature web of their own, though perhaps not all their own making. He saw the layers of decisions, the paths and their forks, their intersections, all laid out in the moving strands of light, and where they ended. Mostly, they ended with her. Ricky knew better than to touch the web, although it seemed to invite him. His fingertips itched. This was the future, a three-dimensional model only partially woven, and if he wanted to, he could direct the warp and weft. It would burn. The energy sparked hot, crackled with prismatic colours, bounced from angle to angle. It would burn, but it would work. He could manipulate the refractions if he wanted, and so what if it hurt? He could shed his skin, absorb the energy in his other form, drink it in, change back. Be good as new. Show me the cull, he whispered in Old English, hoarse. Cold, squirming trails of excitement coursed in his chest, clenching his heart. It hammered painfully in his throat, pulse racing. The energy sparked, obedient. The threads meshed and formed a cube, rotating until the corners smoothed in the air and it became a sphere. Within the sphere... He saw the future he'd asked for, playing out in dancing pictures like a child's magic lantern. He'd always wanted one of those. His heart hurt it was beating so fast. Show me the next head of the family. The pictures swirled together, shrinking into pixels, and formed a face. Ricky tried to fix this in his mind, but it slithered away from him, resistant to memory. Shit me, he licked his lips. Ain't we fucked? He winced, expecting someone to cuff the back of his head for the profanity, but nothing happened. No censure came. This was his place, after all. He straightened up, swallowing. "'Show me the mistress.' But all the pictures showed him was a house, out of focus, flat and inanimate. He shook his head, frowning. It was a postcard, poorly photographed, without the depth of fairwood in reality. "'That's not what—' He broke off, clearing his throat— Show me the mistress. The house flickered, coming into clearer focus. Yet there was something stopping him seeing it properly, something in the way of his vision. He squinted, wondering if this was because there was something wrong with his eyesight, but the excitement had turned to nausea. He struggled with himself, now able to name the thing that was tugging at him, the idea that chased him through the wasteland. Maybe she didn't want him to come back. Maybe she wouldn't notice he was gone. She would wait a little and then forget. All those years he'd spent outside, all for nothing. How much of an imprint could he have made on her stones and bricks in a few months? Not even a year, barely a blink in all the time she'd been standing. Without him, she'd fill herself with light and life and people, erase him like dust. The only thing worse than not getting back at all would be returning to her glower of disappointment. His mother's reaction when he returned after a three-month absence of sleeping rough, just before he turned seventeen, when all she gave him was one long, slow look of regret that dried his apologies on his dirty, dehydrated tongue. He hadn't thought about that for years, either. This place forced him backwards, into dark corners he tried to avoid. It's not your sight, it's your conviction, whispered the voice in his head. He'd been wondering when that would show up. That's why you can't see her. Ricky swallowed down a lump of bile. He was looking at something that might not want to be seen. He gnawed his lip in unconscious imitation of his cousin and when he realised, struggled to stop. What if she don't want me back? He whispered to the cave, the voice, the light before him. The image in the sphere flickered and fritzed. Ricky forced himself to look deeper, properly. His nostrils flared. I want to go home. You want power, the voice corrected. Here you can control everything you see. Don't you want that? Their truth is whatever you say it is. You can break the curse of mediocrity, transform their dull ambitions. You can manipulate them the way they always try to manipulate you. That the curse you want me to break, is it? Ricky sniffed, cracking his neck to the side. He flexed his shoulders, still itching to touch the sphere, to feel Fairwood's aura burning through his skin with the energy that showed him its image. Ah, that benefit you, of course. You are unique in your generation. The voice turned silky, soothing, but Ricky mistrusted that particular tone. Gran had only deployed it when she wanted something, and he was willing to bet this slippery bastard was no different, or he'd eat his own entrails. Yeah, well, I could be unique at home, can't I? His hands dropped to his sides, balling into fists. What's the point of this if I don't get what I want? You can have everything you want. The voice snapped louder, echoing in his skull and around the cave. Yeah, the last time you said that, she dropped dead and caught fucking fire, Ricky pointed out bitterly. So maybe you don't know half of what I want after all. I think she's better off without that kind of bullshit, thanks. Probably better off without mine. "'But a promise is a promise, and you promised me!' "'Ricky glared at the geodes, flickering with power. "'This is nice and all, but I'm having what was promised. "'It ain't even been a full year. "'I'm staying there if she'll let me, "'and I don't need your permission or your bleeding approval.' "'The voice was silent. "'The cave began to melt away, dropping out of focus, out of sight.' The power, the images, all the things he could have done, slipped from his grasp and he fell, stomach rising and flipping into his body on the cold, hard ground. It wasn't just the effects of the morning after the night before that brought Ricky gagging into the splintering light of dawn. There were the fragments of the thirteenth dreams still embedded in his skull like rusty nails, leaking into his own waking reality and distorting his perception. The crystal cave, its secrets and promise of power, "'Danced out of reach. "'It had been worth it.' "'He recalled with imperfect clarity the faces she'd dreamed of, "'the size and shape of things to come, "'as they'd appeared in the web of light. "'Wes may suspect he'd done it on purpose, "'but Ricky thought he'd been pretty clever about it, "'even if the mistress would have seen through his cockiness in a blink, "'his chest warmed, thinking of her, "'the only place he'd ever wanted to call home. "'That was short-lived. "'Wes was stretching, balancing on a rock and scanning the rocks.' Morning, handsome. Ricky shook his head, shading his eyes from the stabbing of the dawn. You all right? All worn off? More or less. Ready for another go? Wes spat on his palms and rubbed them in imitation of him, rolling his shoulders back and flickering terribly as he moved. Ricky couldn't look at him. Sure. She ain't moving in there, Wes said, bounding down and patting the cocoon. Can't hear her either. Maybe she's dreaming again. Oh, she's dreaming. Ricky saw the edges of a colour spectrum rippling over the obsidian, colours he couldn't recognise or name. Some of them looked alive, living colours, breathing colours, rippling and pulsing with their own strange life. You go first. I don't feel too clever. Wes nodded, eyes twinkling in mischief. Bet you don't. She figured it out, Ricky grunted as they heaved the cocoon off the ground. I hope this bloody circle isn't far. Chapter 13, part 2. They hauled the cocoon as carefully as they could between the outcrops and boulders, threading their way in a rough diagonal towards the stone, towards the stone circle. The cloud cover was dense once more, a blanket of blinding grey, but the heat grew oppressive. They hadn't eaten or drunk anything for a full day, or at least Wes hadn't, and Ricky had thrown up. That made everything harder. Wes was bone-tired. He stumbled over loose stones, over his own ankles, over nothing, dragging his feet as sweat prickled through his paws and drained him of any moisture he had left. He couldn't go on much longer. The thing that's bothering me, Ricky said eventually, in an ominous voice that made Wes groan, is... Wes waited. Ricky didn't finish. Is what? What? Wes tried to swallow, dry-mouthed and irritable. The thing that's bothering you is... What? Oh, yeah. Priests. Haven't seen any. Fuck me. He He was probably still hallucinating or something. Thought I saw some nuns over that way. We can have a chat to them if you want. Don't be daft, you soppy tart. I mean Grandad's priests, don't I? The ones I can summon. Wes scowled. Since when can you do that? What do you think I had those tattoos for before I shed my skin? Decoration? Well, yeah. Wes hoped they could keep the bickering up. It distracted him from how rough he was feeling. He was certain the cocoon was getting heavier. That's what they're usually for. I'm bloody wasted on you. Wes smirked. Nearly there. Yeah, but it's like things are hanging back on purpose. Maybe it's not because we're with the 13th, like I thought. What if it's him? He could hear the capitalisation in his cousin's tone, but it wasn't entirely respectful. Wes empathised. I don't want to see him. He was starting to feel sick. False bravado pushed it back down. He can bloody well give me my face back if he does show up. Three single births together on this side,' Ricky mused, gruff and quiet. "'Why's that, then? "'I heard Grandad in the throne room going round in my head like a bloody answer machine. "'What's he want with us?' "'I didn't hear anything.' "'Said something about me breaking another curse. "'Opening up a portal for him is my guess.' "'Wes went cold. "'Don't you bloody dare! "'I mean, we can't have an apocalypse now. "'Uncle Ray's just finished his barn conversion.' "'Would you listen to yourself?' Ricky's sneer was audible. "'Bloody barn conversion.' Wes laughed it off, but worry niggled at him. "'You wouldn't, anyway. Like you said, who wants to rule the world? "'They'd only screw us over. First thing that came through "'would lay waste to everything in its path, "'and that includes your precious manor house.' "'Yeah, I did think of that,' Ricky grunted, "'tripping and causing Wes to stumble. "'If that's the offer, I'm not interested.' Wes righted himself and they paused. Put her down a sec, we ain't far now. If I put her down, that's it, Ricky warned. She bloody stays where we set her. I can't, I can't go on much more. All right, look, it's literally just over there, a few more yards, yeah? Then we'll put her down and hope she hatches out so we don't have to drag her. Wes was desperate to wipe the sweat off his brow. It dripped into his eyes and ran down his nose, salty and stinging. The henge loomed above them suddenly as they rounded another outcrop, overshadowing them with slabs of carved black stone, covered in columns of glowing green symbols carved into the smooth surfaces. The slabs were in threes, two uprights and one horizontal on top forming a blocky arch, laid out in this fashion in a large, perfect ring. In the centre was a slab of gleaming obsidian, propped on top of smaller blocks. Another slab of rock was set flush against it, so that it reminded Wes of an armless sofa or an avant-garde garden bench. "'Who do you think did that?' he asked. Ricky was wheezing. Wes turned to check on him and frowned. "'Bloody hell, you OK?' "'Knackered!' "'Are you up to this?' Wes waved at the circle. "'This is what you wanted, right?' Ricky didn't answer. Wes dragged his weary, desiccated bones over to the nearest standing stone and blinked at the symbols. ''These are glowing,'' he said stupidly, tongue-thick. ''Oi, Richard!'' He sniggered, but winding Ricky up was pointless and only made him annoyed with himself. ''Ricky, look, you seen this?'' ''If that abuseful old bastard shows up,'' Ricky muttered himself, swaying on the spot, ''I'm going to lose my shit.'' Wes sniggered. ''You sound like me.'' Something tugged at his attention. "'I'm delirious,' he thought. "'Maybe it all seeped in through my skin. "'What even is this stuff? It's everywhere.' The red ooze was splattered over his jeans and shirt and set like honey. Tiny crystals were forming on the edges where it had dried first, pinkish and hard as quartz. There was a strange clicking sound that he hadn't been aware of before, but he couldn't pinpoint the source. He leaned against the stone, letting its cool surface seep into his flesh. A line of green symbols danced before his eyes as he closed them. Oh shit, what now? He couldn't pull away. His skin tingled underneath like it it had done the first time he'd changed. He became acutely aware of everyone his flesh had ever touched. Everyone who had ever seen his image heard his voice and forgotten him. His sleeper soldiers... "'living, working, walking, sleeping, with him under their skin.' "'Call them,' a voice encouraged, buried at the back of his brain. "'Call them, and they will come.' "'Call them where? To do what?' "'If he woke up that first, they would become like Charlie, "'desperately seeking him at every party, every event, "'in every alleyway and crowded street, "'clinging to every photograph and cutting away their eyelids "'so they would never blink and forget him.' But they'd adore him, need him, do anything he wanted. He had spent his whole adult life unknowingly sowing his seeds of madness in all who encountered him, like fungal spores embedded deep in hundreds, thousands of random human brains, and now he had to wait for them to grow. People who'd glimpsed him in the street, in shops... In cafes, pubs, clubs, restaurants, people who'd seen the photographs Charlie tried to take, the countless hundreds on social media he wasn't even aware of, with him in the background. How many thousands of people had seen his forgettable face? And they would all, at one touch, one word, live to worship him. Claw their own children apart as sacrifices, offer him the world and everything in it just to see his face one more time. Wes saw what he could become, the full, glorious horror of it, and... No! He pushed himself away from the stone with a burst of energy, invigorated and charged. Fuck that! Fuck you! Wes snapped at the sky. Fuck you with a chainsaw! The clicking was getting louder. Ah, wondered when they'd show up, Ricky said conversationally, and fell over. Wes ducked as Grandad's priests burst down out of the clouds in a hail of locust wings. One landed in front of him. Wes didn't take in too many details, but his brain registered the important ones. It was basically a chimera, a grasshopper with a horse-shaped head, except the face topping the segmented body was firstly fly-eyed and secondly had teeth that could slice through metal. The mouth set in that weird long equine snout split all the way back to the base of the face so it could cram as many of those teeth in as possible. He didn't bother to count the legs or the antenna. He brained it with a rock. It flailed about for a second, double-jointed limbs waggling like a half-dead cockroach, so he hit it again. Something blue squirted out, watery and pale, followed by some darker sludge. Some of it spurted onto his jeans. Great. Wes felt something slash across his back like a whip. Two of them were on him, cutting through his shirt with the hooks on their feet. He thrashed against the rocks and rolled, feeling their bones break under him, and ripped his shirt off to get rid of everything they touched. Ricky was in trouble. They weren't getting too close, but his tendrils lashed about from the back of his head, oozing from nips and cuts as he tried to keep them off him. Nothing was attacking the cocoon, probably because Katie hadn't pissed the old man off yet. Wes used the rags of his shirt as part flag, part flail, whipping at the insectoids. He fought his way through the buzzing cloud and dragged his cousin over the rocks and into the stone circle by one arm. The tendrils whipped around violently, covering their retreat, but as soon as he got them between the upright slabs, the priests swarmed around the outside, either unable or unwilling to enter. "'This is mine,' Wes said, hauling Ricky to his feet. "'The throne room's hers, but this place is mine.' Ricky gave him a weary glance. "'I could see you better, at least,' Here, don't leave her out there!' "'He started forwards, out of the safety of the circle, "'and Wes grabbed him and yanked him back. "'Ricky lost his footing and sat down heavily on the ground. "'She's fine, they're not after her. "'It's us. "'We've displeased the old beggar.' "'Ricky winced, putting his head between his legs. "'His back lips gaped mournfully, "'a few stray tendrils dribbling over the bottom lip as far as his shoulders. "'Everything hurts.' "'I'll give you a cuddle in a minute, princess,' Wes muttered, "'trying to keep Katie's cocoon in sight "'as the priest swarm buzzed around the outside of their shelter. "'Piss off!' "'Charming! You weren't complaining last night, were you? "'Is that a sex joke?' "'Wes blinked. "'No, mate, it was... what? No, never mind.' "'The energy from the stones poured into him, refreshing his body and soul. "'It was not having the same effect on Ricky, who was much paler than before.' He wondered if the priests, all of whom had now had a good look at him, were susceptible to his seeds of insanity. Except, of course, he was memorable here, so much for that idea. What happens if I sit on that? he wondered aloud, staring at the altar thing in the middle of the circle. Katie's got the throne. What's this, my recliner? Chaise long? Oh, of course, you'd have something you can lie down on, Ricky muttered. "'I'll have you know I do some of my best work on my back,' Wes paused. "'And fairly frequently on other people's.' Ricky snorted. Ignoring the angry swarm of the priests, Wes bounded over to his altar throne and swung himself up onto it. "'It wasn't uncomfortable. Hard, but not uncomfortable. "'Quite warm, in fact. A few chenille throws, a cushion or two. He stretched out, hands behind his head. "'Well, this is nice. Could do a lot with this.' Ricky stumbled up and joined him, casting a dispassionate glance from his head to his toes. Wes grinned. "'See anything you like? Just say.' The soothsayer rolled his eyes and dropped down near Wes's elbow, resting his back against the thick slab, where he could watch the arches. "'Where's your adoring court, then?' Ricky asked. "'This is what it was built for, ain't it? You lying in states and poor sod feeding you grapes out of a golden bowl.' "'Peeled grapes,' Wes corrected. "'Yeah, of course.' "'Gave him the day off.' "'Wes cleared his throat, pretending he couldn't hear the priests, "'couldn't feel the stinging cuts on his back, "'wasn't covered in goo and weird alien blood "'and whatever else he picked up in this godforsaken place, "'was at home, and Charlie was going to sashay through the door "'any second in a cloud of perfume and glitter and business cards, "'and Hugo was in the next room working on a presentation, "'stressed and dishevelled and sexy as all hell. "'We're going to die here.' Ricky's tone was so cold, so dull, so matter-of-fact that a chill ran up Wes's spine. He shook his head. We won't. Look at that. We won't get through that. I can't open the portal, not without her. Wes sat up. Give over. Ricky shook his head, shoulders slumped. Don't matter anyway. I'll not be coming back through. What the hell are you talking about? Don't be like that. What'll Carrie say if you don't come back? She'll blame me, you know. And in fairness, it is my fault. Ricky gave a strange, bitter laugh. Yeah, well, shot myself in the foot there. Already set her up for life, haven't I? She don't need me, and it's all my fault she's the way she is. She'll have other lodgers, I've seen it. She won't ever built for just the one person. It's not going to be the way I... He stopped himself. I think it's better if I stay here. Do everyone a favour. Wes smacked him across the head. God, you sound like Granny Sylvia... Ricky twisted around with a snarl. I do not. This will be my last Yule, Wes mimicked in a passable impression of their shared grandmother. Sylvia Porter, daughter of Nathan and Deirdre Porter, mother of their respective mothers, and Ricky's father, had spent her life in a hard done by state of constant complaint, which made those family visits to her sitting room a triennial chore. Wes couldn't remember seeing any other part of her house. He hesitated to call it a home, except for that dingy sitting room of faded blues and browns stuffed with dated furniture, paisley patterns and musty carpet. Finally, on one memorable November afternoon, after one passive-aggressive remark too many, Uncle Nigel, the favourite son, had locked her in the big gas oven and turned it on. Yule hampers from Uncle Nigel and Auntie Mandy had been full of oddly rubbery meat cuts that year. "'Stop wallowing, then. Martyrdom don't suit you.' Where's sat up, watching the priests crawling outside their sanctuary, rubbing their back legs together with a strange, keening chirp. "'Bloody hell, they're doing my head in!' Ricky sighed. Where's itch to shake him, but it wouldn't do any good. "'Where's yours, then? Must be near here.' "'My what?' "'Throne. Recliner. Whatever.' He shrugged. "'What makes you think I got one?' Wes gave him a proper nudge. You must do. You're the one and only. Stand on here. Let's have a look. We can't get to it, Ricky pointed out, but clambered upright half-heartedly. What's the point? Wes helped him up onto the slab so they could both scan the landscape behind the circle. The mountains rose behind them, one bald peak higher than the others, jagged and dark in the foreground. There we are. Wes pointed at something gleaming about two-thirds of the way up. That looks like something. Another door, maybe. Bet that's yours. Nice and inaccessible. Very Oracle of Delphi. Bet you've got some nice pillars, bit of trippy vapour to inhale, but it's really nice. Ricky smirked. Wes took this as a good sign. Probably a bit of quartz in the sun. What sun? Don't be daft. Wes looked his cousin up and down, the niggling worry growing. Ricky wasn't himself. All the cockiness and swagger had leached out of him, leaving nothing behind except a gaunt, drawn tension and sulky self-pity. He was physically drained too, filthy, stinking of day-old sweat now with the undertone of fishy vomit, hoodie and trackies completely wrecked by the red ooze, skin pale and pallid, eyes glassy and dry. He wasn't up to opening a can of beans, let alone a portal to another dimension. Maybe he was right. They were going to die here. Fuck it, he muttered under his breath. Okay. He turned Ricky bodily around to face him, hands on his cousin's shoulders. Hear me out. What if I drive people insane enough to start a cult and come looking for us? Ricky raised an eyebrow. Time is faster here than out there, so how long do you think that's going to take them? You don't seem surprised by the driving people insane part. Where's wondered if the symbols meant anything to him? Ricky grinned, a slice of his usual self reasserting itself. Nah, I've met you. "'Fucker.' Wes pushed him away, grinning back. "'I could have a cord, apparently. That's what he wants.' He pointed at the sky. "'That's why they're out there. All I have to do is, um... activate this. Somehow.' He gestured at his body. No longer a strobing series of layers, here in the circle he was one consistent frame, one singular image, and he could remember the contours of his skinny ribs and bare lanky arms, the paling post-Jubai tan.' Ricky was unimpressed. Right, and how do you reckon they're going to do that if they're all mad? You met many occultists, have you? Physicists? Quantum mechanics? I don't think that last one's even a job. So, no, then. All right, not a great plan. Wes gave up. Plus, I mean, I don't think I could do it selectively. There's a lot of people I wouldn't want to mess up like that. Ricky gave him a twitchy smile and sighed. Well... At least we know how special you are. Yeah, Wes grinned. Fuck, should I get an Insta? I could break the internet, literally. If you break the internet, I'll break your face. Katie, naked and dripping red ooze, picked her way between the priests and into the circle. Wes's heart skipped. She looked normal. That was a huge relief. Her hair wasn't the same. It had grown back in patches, some longer than others. Most of her skull still bald. "'As she came closer, he saw that, underneath the ooze, her skin was mottled and raw. "'Some of it was peeling off with the red stuff, "'leaving slick, sharp-grey patches of rubbery flesh underneath. Katie Oh, fuck, we missed the hatching! "'Oh, babe, you look great!' he nudged Ricky, who was openly frowning. "'Don't she?' "'Beautiful, yeah?' "'You're such liars!' Katie was leaving a trail of sticky red slime behind her, and a few priests were stuck to it, drawn into the circle along the narrow red path she was creating. Wes licked his lips. They didn't seem to be moving. Um, they... those things don't like us. He gave his sister a wobbly smile. You all right? Shit, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry about all this. Katie's face was strangely vacant. She shrugged it off and looked behind her. The click! They were singing to me. They woke me up. Wes and Ricky exchanged glances. Don't look at me, Ricky said. It's probably one of those weird names with an apostrophe in it. If you're going to take the piss, I won't tell you what they are. Katie frowned at her brother. What happened to me? We were on the rocks and then... I don't remember. I was coughing and... Where's your shirt? Wes kept a straight face. Working on my tan. She rolled her eyes. A glob of cocoon ooze slid off her thigh, taking a few layers of skin with it. Wes caught a glimpse of red raw flesh and sinew, human tissue, and switched focus to her face. You're not in pain or anything, he asked, hoping she couldn't feel it. Katie shook her head. I had some really weird dreams. Nightmares. I thought I was, like, swimming, but I didn't have any limbs or organs, or... I don't... I don't feel right. Some bits of me are a bit sore. Wes kept his voice light and gentle. Yeah, well you're awake now, you don't have to think about it. Don't maybe don't touch anything or, or look, okay? Keep looking at me. Katie frowned and instinctively looked down at herself. Wes leapt off the slab and made her jump. Ha no no, there's only to check, you're fine. You look fine, you look great. She backed away from him, trailing stickiness and bits of flesh. What? What is it? She raised dripping hands to her face. Your face is fine, Wes assured her, trying not to wince. She was becoming, as far as he could see, a torso of slow-cooked pork, meat pulling off the bone. There was something under there. Don't touch her, she's not done yet. Ricky climbed down, stiff and slow. Katie, come here. Come here. It's all right. Am I glad to see you. He sounded genuine, which warmed Wes's heart. He stepped over to the side, over the slime trail, to let Katie edge towards their cousin, more uncertain now as she tried to figure out what had happened. Am I really okay? she asked, looking for the truth. Ricky propped himself up against the slab. You're going to have to change. Katie shuddered. Bits of her flopped to the ground. Ow! Don't look! Wes and Ricky chorused. She closed her eyes, close to tears. What's happening to me? You need to shed all that, that's all. Ricky sounded confident, and Wes clung to the hope he knew what he was talking about. Hector did it, came out of his cocoon looking like Swiss cheese, shed it all, and there he was, Gran's beautiful butterfly. Katie caught her breath. Gran said that to me? She said I'd be a butterfly? Well, it's more a big kind of a dog thing... Ricky said with a wince. But yeah, I mean, it's a nice metaphor. But I can look like a person, right? Katie swallowed. Like I won't be the beast forever, right? The beast? Is that what you... OK. No, you can be a person, Ricky nodded. Promise? Really promise? Absolutely. On my life. On the mistress. Katie took a deep breath. OK... Wes closed his eyes and prayed to someone, anyone who was listening, that she'd really taken him off the list, that she had somehow figured it out that he wasn't about to be turned into steak tartare. He also prayed, as a rather important addendum, that Ricky hadn't got it wrong. There was a slick tearing sound, the sound of flesh being pulled apart.